this morning, the word I have for you uh, is, I feel like is just, and it fits a lot of what was just shared, a lot of what we hit in worship. Uh, I just feel like this one's kind of extra important. I feel like we really need to get this. And uh, what you need to know is, two weeks ago, uh, as you recall, or I hope you recall, but I'll remind you just in case, I taught on the effectiveness of prayer. You guys vaguely remember that? Okay, good. Uh, what uh, you were probably unaware of is this turned into, that was part one of a three-part series on justice. So this is part two. So we're actually talking about justice. And uh, this is, again, one I think is super important. And I'm going to round it out next week with part three. And what I want you to remember uh, last week uh, when we talked about the effect of prayer, was that prayer is the vehicle God has given us to execute justice in the earth. Now, how many of you feel like we could use more justice? Okay, good. How many of you want to be a part of that? Good. God will be able to tell by your prayer because, uh, as we learned last week, prayer is how we partner with God to bring heaven's justice to earth. Remember, we pray, angels are released, there's battles in heavens, and the heavens are affected. We don't pray to affect the natural. We pray to affect the heavens, to displace principalities and powers. Warfare in the heavens, principalities and powers, that's who we battle against, so that the atmosphere changes, so that the gospel can go forth, so that people can change. Prayer is what God has given us to affect justice in the earth. It's an incredible tool, and I think the church has yet to realize how powerful a tool, and by the church I mean throughout the world. Some parts of the world get it better than others. Oddly enough, the parts that are persecuted tend to get this better than the ones that aren't. So uh, you figure that out, because uh, God will get us to pray, and I know what works. Everybody catch that? All right. So... Uh, Prayer is how he affects justice, how he partners with his church to bring justice from heaven to earth, to affect the atmosphere uh, over Melbourne and Palm Bay, to affect the atmosphere in our hearts, because we have to do war there also. So what I want you to see this morning, we're going to talk about the effect of righteousness. Um, last week, the effect of prayer. This week, the effect of righteousness, because twice... In the Psalms, we're told righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, right? And so his throne represents his government. God, will, God has a government of the universe that we are told uh, there, will be, there will never be an end to the increase of his peace and his government. It's going to continue. It's going to grow. And that government will always be founded on righteousness and justice, the twin pillars of righteousness and justice. So they go together. We cannot do one without the other. And so if we want to execute justice in the heavens through prayer, we're going to have to pay some attention to righteousness. Jesus did this. You know, he imputed to us his righteousness. We just celebrated uh, how that happened, right, through, through, uh, through communion. Jesus gave us the righteousness of God. Isn't that awesome? You have to rely on your righteousness. You can rely on his. He could do that. He could just give away his righteousness. But he didn't 
just give it away. He paid the price for it because to not pay for our sin would have been to overlook justice. So Jesus said, I'm going to give them my righteousness so that they can qualify for heaven, but I can't overlook justice, so I'm going to have to go pay for their sin myself. I'll die on the cross in their place. Because justice and righteousness had to be fulfilled because it's the foundation of his government. You get that? So righteousness is a prerequisite to us executing justice. And again, we're talking about executing justice through prayer. Think of James 5, where James says, the effective prayer of what kind of man avails much? Righteous man. Not just any man. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if we will come under or come into his righteousness, it will make our prayer more effective. And all I want to do this morning is I want to show you that in three different passages in the Bible, uh, how God has worked this in. And then, um, you know, we'll go get to work on it. Amen? All right. Don't worry. God will help you. He's already working on it. All right. First, if you want to look in your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. This is probably familiar. It's the parable of the persistent widow. This is an old lady. We'll probably meet her in heaven. She'll be way up front. And uh, she's been praying a lot. So this is an old lady uh, praying for justice. Note what she's praying for. She's praying for justice. Let's read this, verses 1 through 8. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Let's just make sure we understand what we're reading. What was the purpose of this parable? To get us to pray. And keep praying, not lose heart. To start praying, and then keep praying, and then keep praying, and then keep praying. Any questions? All right. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. What was the prayer about? Justice. All right, good. You guys are smart. And he, would, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In other words, she bugged him until she got justice. And that's the point of the parable, bug God until we get justice. And then he brings it back to God's response, the purpose of the parable, verses 6 through 8. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God, who is obviously just, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? How often? Day and night, day and night what? All right, that, we call that prayer, right? Day and night prayer. That's what we're doing, right? We're doing day and night prayer. I'm just checking. Um, his own elect, who cry out to him day and night, Though he bears long with them, we'll get back to that. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. How many of you like speedily? I do too. We're going to find a problem here in a minute with that. Because perhaps you're thinking, I don't recall most of my justice coming speedily. And there may be a reason. All right. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? 
says you go pray, keep praying, day and night, pray, believe, have faith for justice. But when I come up, when I show up to execute that justice, will you still be in the place of prayer? Or will you have gone, well, we prayed once, God didn't do it, so we went for a human solution. Right? All right, somebody's excited. It's it's my wife's because she got flowers. All right. So, in your notes, uh, I want you to have this so you can be pondering this. Uh, Persistent day and night prayer for justice is the indicator of our faith. How do you know if you have faith? You keep praying for the same thing. That's what faith is. It's just, it's not, uh, now I love you pray, you know, you come up here and you pray for someone to be healed and they're healed like that. That's awesome. That's also faith. I want more of that. Let's do that. But mostly, faith is persistence. Mostly faith is again and again and again until something happens. And so uh, we, we, we just go for it. Uh, persistent day and night prayer for justice is the indication that we have faith. Now, let's go back to that part we skipped over, though he bears long with them. How does God bear long with us? Because we like the whole speedy justice thing, right? Bearing long sounds like exactly the opposite of speedy justice, doesn't it? Now, God wants speedy justice. This is an indication that the problem may be ours. And I have a theory that I'm going to share with you uh, on how God bears long with us. Are you ready? See, here's the problem. In 1 Peter 4, Peter says judgment or justice must begin where? Who knows? house of God. Now, that seems only fair, doesn't it? Right? If you're a just God, you're not going to execute justice outside your home until you've executed justice inside your home first. Right? So, it seems only fair. Justice must begin with the house of God. So, what happens if we cry for justice and we're doing the same things? What's God got to do? Yeah, and so the delay is his mercy because I don't want to have to judge you yet. I want for you to have some time to work on your stuff. And so this is why he bears long with us because we haven't fully perhaps engaged his righteousness so that we qualify to execute his justice. Does this make sense? So he has to bring us to his standard of righteousness so that we can partner with him in justice. It is a prerequisite. In your notes, his standard of righteousness is a prerequisite to partnering with him in justice. So the delay is he's working on us. Now, this is the important part because right now, and I say his standard of righteousness is a prerequisite to him partnering with us in justice, most of us in our heads start ticking off Outward things, well, okay, I'm not lying, I'm not cheating or stealing, or I haven't beat my kids in a while, uh, you know, stuff like that, and we go outward. And I want you to understand, this is the part I want you to get, this is very important. His standard of righteousness is primarily internal. It is primarily our hearts. I give you, as an example, the Sermon on the Mount, you shall not murder awesome, God, I'm not killing anybody. I haven't killed anybody all year, right? 
And Jesus comes along with the Sermon on the Mount and says, no, no, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Dang it, I've killed people this year. Right? If I entered into hate towards my brother. Right? Don't commit adultery. I've never committed adultery against Rachel until Jesus came along and said, if you just have lust in your heart, that's adultery. Dang it, that's a lot harder, God. Right? Have you seen what's on TV, God? So we got issues, don't we? We have heart issues. And I want you to see that when I'm talking about his standard of righteousness, I'm talking about his heart standard of righteousness. God goes for heart issues. And you can keep reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and you see it again and again and again. In fact, every, and we might be doing that. I might go back and do the Sermon on the Mount soon, maybe next year. But every time I've taught through it, at some point someone goes, how do we do this? I go, exactly. Because you start reading all the things he asked for, and you go, I can't do this. This is impossible. I go, yeah. That's why we need him. Because he goes right to our hearts. And so we see this, that our problem uh, is that he's trying to work on our hearts first before he answers our prayer for justice. Now, his justice requires his heart. That's my point. God is not saying, I want you to part with me and execute justice however you think justice should go. Because you honestly do not want me deciding how justice should go for you. Right? I might not get it right. He's going, I want you to learn my heart and do justice the way I think justice should go. And so we have to have his heart to exercise his justice. And what I want you to see is his heart is way different than ours. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Jesus says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither, not Jesus, God does, but Jesus. Uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, right? For my thoughts and my ways are higher. And so we have to go, if I want God's justice, I have to first engage God's heart. I have to start learning his thoughts and ways, or he's not going to let me exercise justice. This is what happened in John 7, 24. He healed somebody on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees got torqued off because he had clearly broken the law. He healed someone on the Sabbath. That's work. That is not allowed. Couldn't he just have waited till Monday? Right? No. And so Jesus' answer to him is, don't judge by mere appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Don't just do the outward law. Don't just do what looks like the right thing. Don't just do the written, uh, don't heal anybody on the Sabbath, wait till Monday. Judge with righteous judgment. I need you to go to the heart of the matter and see that it's always good to heal someone anytime. That's God's heart, right? And so... We need to not judge with outward appearance, which is super easy to do. In fact, if you were judging anything that you learned on the internet, that you weren't there, it is, it is absolutely outward appearance because you weren't there. But judge with righteous judgment. Well, I, I can't judge that until I know, unless God tells me what was really going on, I don't know. Just a thought. Okay. I know no one's doing that but me. All right. So the delay is us. Though he bears long with us. I'm waiting for you guys to get my heart 
so that I can answer your prayer for justice. Uh, the delay is our transformation. You know the passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That includes our mind, not just our body, so that we can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, so that we can prove His ways and His thoughts are higher. Then we can begin to execute justice. Now, here's what's interesting. I quoted Romans 12. I also quoted Isaiah 55. What you will find if you look at the context of both of these verses is they're in the context of His incredible mercy. Right before each verse, it's talking about God's amazing mercy. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week, but just as a, you know, a little teaser here, uh, God probably doesn't want to give you the full credit card on executing His justice if you don't have a pretty good handle on His mercy. You understand? And a lot of the church doesn't have a real good handle on His mercy because His ways are higher. His mercy is mind-blowing. So, uh, all right, well, let's move on. That's, been, that's enough of that one. You guys had enough fun with that? Okay, oh, that, okay, there we go. Sounds like you had a great time. Okay, you like that. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10. Now, this is, <laughs> this is uh, that classic verse on spiritual warfare, right? Verses 4 through 6. So let's read it real quick. Uh, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural or earthly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And we can talk about what those strongholds are. I think those are mostly mental strongholds. I think those are spiritual strongholds in heavenly places, uh, right? So uh, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, where do they exist? In our minds. And every... Uh, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, well, that's in my mind too, right? And uh, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, that's in my mind also. Where is all this warfare happening? Huh. So spiritual warfare in our minds. We're, we're taking thoughts captive. We're casting down vain imaginations. We're breaking strongholds. We're breaking down lies. We're doing all that. Well, why is that spiritual warfare? And then here's the really fun part. Verse 6. In being ready to punish all disobedience. <laughs> now we're into the justice part. Right? We exercise some justice now. Ready to punish disobedience. Wait, what was that last part? When your obedience is fulfilled. Oh, dang it. I got to go first. Isn't that an interesting verse in the context of spiritual warfare, in the context of taking thoughts captive? Why are we doing this? I want you to be able to punish all disobedience, but you have to learn obedience first. In other words, we have to learn to rule our internal atmosphere before He can use us to rule the atmosphere in the heavens. Does this make sense? We have to rule our internal atmosphere before we can really exercise authority to rule in the heavens. And we are called to rule in the heavens through prayer, right? Let me put it another way. We cannot displace devils in heavenly places while simultaneously inviting them through the agreement in our hearts. I cast down that spirit of, eh, welcome in. 
doesn't work, right? And so I go, God, there's gangs in Palm Bay and they're violent. Judge the violence in our city. And God goes, okay, let's start with the violence in your heart and that little bit of hatred you got for your brother. Let's do that first and then we'll work to you. See how this works? God, there's human trafficking in our city. God, get rid of that. Okay, but that's kind of based in greed and lust and selfishness. So first we just need to deal with all the greed and lust and selfishness in your heart, Tony. Well, dang, that could take a while. And God says, it's okay, I'll bear along with you. Let's get started. You see what's going on? Are we getting this? It's right there, isn't it? Punish all disobedience once your obedience is fulfilled. If we're going to displace devils in the heavens, we have to displace the agreement in our hearts, even the subtle agreements, even the little things. All right, so uh, the third passage I want to look at, and this is just in your notes. I'm I'm cherry-picking here um, out of Psalm 51. You guys all know Psalm 51, uh, or probably. A lot, it gets quoted a lot. Uh, I just want to read a couple of these verses. With the things we've just talked about, I want to read this and just sort of let, it, let you see that this is going on in the Old Testament as well, that David understood this. So David is praying, and David is aware of his sinfulness, and, and particularly, I think, the Bathsheba sinfulness. But he's aware that not just that he's sinful, that he was born in sin, that he's got issues, that they're profound issues, that, you know, he's, he's, you know, he just knows his heart, right? And so he says, behold, I'm going to read verses 6 through 7, then 10 and 13. Again, it's in your notes. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Where? What's he after? Our hearts. Truth in our hearts. Truth in our hearts. Truth about ourselves truth about God. That's hard. That's a hard prayer, isn't it? God, show me the truth about me. Yikes. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. Oh, there's wisdom in that, isn't there? If I'll pursue your truth in my inner man, I'll get your wisdom. I'll start to understand some stuff. So David goes on, verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I should be whiter than snow. Hear the cry of his heart. Oh, God, I'm, I'm aware of how wicked my heart can be. Wash me, cleanse me. On the inside, God. Not, it's not enough to just obey the law and go to the, the temple and offer the right sacrifices. God, I need you to purge me, to cleanse my heart. And then in verse 10, he prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Again, here's prayer. God, I need a clean heart. I need a steadfast spirit on the inside. I need you to make me clean, and I need you to make me the kind of person that wants to stay clean. Right? I'm praying this verse a lot. Not not because, you know, it so describes me and I'm awesome. (laughs) I'm praying this verse a lot. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me, God. Keep me in the fight. Let's go deeper, God. And I'm starting to enjoy it and see the appeal of it. It used to scare me to pray stuff like that because, you know, <laughs> who knows what God will do. But I trust him. It ends well. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Now, catch this, verse 13. Then, 
After all that, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. God, give us souls, save the lost. Okay, you know how I can do that? If you'll let me create a clean heart in you and renew a steadfast spirit in you, then you'll teach transgressors my ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Are you seeing the order? God wants to work on our hearts. Now, here comes the kind of heavy part. Uh, Isaiah 4. All right, so this is what happened. I'm at pastor's prayer. I go to pastor's prayer every Thursday unless I'm out of town because I just think it's important. So uh, there's, I don't know, 20 or so of us there praying. And we're praying for the river. We're praying for the river in Brevard County. Uh, God, send your river. Uh, you know, you guys all know the, the references in Ezekiel and Revelation and all that. Send your river, God. Send your power. Send your healing. River, God. And, and, uh, and, we're, and we're excited because uh, it sounds like fun. sounds like, you know, we all want to go. We all want to pastor a church we, that we want to go to. You know? So we're praying for the river. And at some point, Jason Seglin Benny goes, hey, while we're praying for this, I keep seeing a river, but I keep seeing a river of fire. And I'm like, well, okay. River of God, fire, that works. Uh, let's do that, God. River of fire. And we're singing, and Jer's there playing guitar, and we're singing into it. And I keep having this passage come to mind. I can't remember where it is, so I look it up, and it's in Isaiah 4. We'll get to that in a second. And so I'm meditating on this passage, and then it kind of gets quiet. Now, this is one of the things that amazes me, and God will do this. And he does this pretty regularly at pastor's prayer, that his presence will come, and everybody just gets quiet. I, I don't know how he does it. God can uh, show up and make 20 pastors quit talking. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It really is. For like five or ten minutes. And we're just sitting there in the presence of God. And Jerry even quits playing guitar. And it's feeling kind of solemn to me. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share this word or not. So at the end, uh, when we get all done, I go, hey, guys, is, uh, is it feeling kind of like it got solemn to you? And several of the pastors there go, yeah, I did. And I went, okay, well, here's what I'm getting. And I go to share Isaiah 4 and 5, and I read verse 5 first, and then I read verse 4, and I start crying, which uh, if you don't know me, if you're a guest here, uh, this is not something I do a lot. Uh, I, you know, uh, it's usually God, that's like God's highlighter. This is me, not Tony, because uh, <laughs> Tony doesn't do that. Uh, but I do it a lot. Tim cries, and I, it happens at Freedom. So I, I like to blame Tim. I said, Tim, this happens at Pastor's Prayer at your church. Stop it. Uh, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Anyway, uh, so I'm beginning to think, well, there's something on this verse. So I'm going to tell you what I got, okay? All that to set this up. Uh, in Isaiah 5, it's pretty cool. Now, this is clear. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5. This is a pretty cool verse. It's clearly uh, Israel in the millennial period. You guys remember how when they came out of Egypt and the tabernacle was moving all around the wilderness and there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day? And you ever thought that would be cool to see? Well, you'll get your chance. Because it's going to happen again, but on every house. It says uh, in verse 5, Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place on Mount Zion... And above her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, 
and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Isn't that cool? Uh, for all the glory, I'm sorry, for over all the glory, there will be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat and a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. And so it's about uh, the glory. I'm sorry, I went all the way to verse 6. Uh, it's mostly about the glory. So the glory is going to rest on homes and assemblies in the one period. And what God's telling me is, I want to bring my glory to Brevard County and to the church in America. Sound good? Okay, but we got to get through verse 4. And then I started reading verse 4. Uh, because remember, verse 4 sets up verse 5, the glory. Verse 4, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And so that was the part where God kind of hit me. And uh, he said, look, this, I'm paraphrasing. It's more of a sense. But what God was showing me was, I want to bring glory, but I first have to purge with fire. I have to bring fire. That's the river of fire. And he made very clear to me, I, I'm emphasizing this, I'm certain of this part, that it's internal. He's not talking about, I don't think it's, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, get thrown in jail or be beat up or yelled at. Uh, it's internal. The fire's coming into our hearts to purify us so that he can bring us into a place of glory. And so uh, I believe that we have to uh, receive this spirit of burning before we're going to receive the glory. What I felt was that it's a season that we're coming into or maybe you're already into. I feel like I've been in it for a bit. I told you I've been praying, uh, creating me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit in me a lot for months. Um, I recommend you adopt that prayer. Um but I feel like it's a season, and absolutely that it is internal, that he's after our hearts in doing this. And so uh, what I want you to know is it doesn't have to be painful and hard. It's easier if we just agree with him. So here's what that looks like. Um, again, I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, you're getting persecuted at the mall, or, you know, you're getting beat up for uh, loving Jesus while you're at Publix. Uh, I think it's I think it's going to be circumstances and individuals that provoke us, and it's going to be very easy to overlook the God part of it. It's going to be very easy to just go, uh, God, this circumstance or this situation is wrong. Fix it, God, or that's bugging me, or that's not right, or that's this and that. And what we need to do is go, God, are you after something in this? This is bringing up something in my heart. Do you want to deal with that? And that's going to go on. And, I, and I'm giving you this word because it'll be easy to miss that. And I want you to recognize when some of these circumstances, some of these individuals are actually God uh, arranged to get at something in our hearts. It's actually that, that river of fire flowing through our hearts, going, God, uh, going, uh, Tony, uh, see that thing in your heart? I want to deal with that. Now, my response needs to just be, yes, God, I see it. Help me. Create in me a clean heart, God. I need help with this. All right, I get it. I'm not supposed to have that attitude. I'm not supposed to think that way. I'm not supposed to do that. Okay, God, give me your heart. Sometimes it's God 
I don't get this person. God goes, if I'll ask him, you want me to show you my heart towards that person? Show me your heart towards that person. It might take a while. You might have to go home and pray for half an hour until God gives you his heart for that person. Oh, I see it, God. I see your heart now. There's stuff I didn't know, right? Or God, give me your heart of mercy. I don't want to have mercy right now. I want to move right to justice, right? You understand? So I believe whether we like it or not, we're in this season. And God wants to deal with our hearts to make our hearts like his heart. Now, again, the reason he wants to do it is because he wants glory. He wants to be able to put his glory on us. He wants to be able to use us to bring justice in the earth. But we need his heart, which is hard, right? Because his ways are so much higher than our ways. His ways. Now, I'm going to finish with this. Uh, There is an appeal of righteousness. There is uh, an appeal to embracing this. Now, most of the time, as I first came at this, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. I don't want to look at my heart, let alone ask God to look at it with me, right? And because, uh, you know, he's so much higher. I, it, my heart never compares well when he's standing next to me. And, but I'm seeing the appeal of it, and I'm getting vision for what he wants to do and, what he, and, and, and his ways and how appealing they are. And it's starting to make me kind of like it. It's starting to make me go, yes, God, create a clean heart in me. Even if it hurts, I want to do it, God, because I, I like how I'll end up. I, I like where you're taking me, God. And so uh, I'll, I'll embrace the humility and all that stuff. Let's get there. And so um, I want to give you this verse just to incentivize you as a, as a wrap-up. The Appeal of Righteousness, Isaiah 32, verse 17. Uh, Isaiah says, the work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Now, assurance, some of your translations may say confidence. And again, remember we're talking about on the inside. Anybody here this morning could use more peace, quietness, and confidence on the inside. Yeah. So the path to that is His righteousness. God, I want to learn your ways. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and lowly of spirit. And you'll find rest for your souls. You'll find this peace and quietness and confidence. Go low. Just learn my ways. Isn't that appealing? So that's where he wants to take us. And here's what I want you to see. Uh, Because it's really easy, and I know I'm not ignorant of the devil's devices, and I know that he's they're waiting as you go outside to sit down in the car with you and begin to talk to you about all of your many faults, right? And to discourage you, and I can't do it, I and even get caught up on the outward things and something you did last week or last month or last year. That's last week, last month, last year. Don't care, right? One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press forward towards the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so, you are going to fail. I am going to fail. I have no expectation 
that you're going to go, well, that was a good word. I'm going to be perfect for the rest of my life. I'm just going to exhibit God's heart in every possible way in everything I do. I feel like it might take some work. So, but the, what I want you to not do is get discouraged. God loves you just as much when you're failing as when you're succeeding. It really makes no difference to him regarding his love. And so, you've got to adopt the attitude that I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm just going to keep believing that God loves me and he's my partner in this. He's the one that's trying to give me his heart. I'm just going to keep going back to him. So when I fail, I just go, God, I see it. I failed. Let me adjust. Let me return to your righteousness. Let me, I just, I'm, I repent, God. Repent means to turn around. It doesn't just mean to feel sorry for what you did. It means to turn 180 degrees. We don't repent just from something. We repent from something to something else. So we repent, oh, I see it. That's me. That's my righteousness. I want your righteousness. I changed my mind. Now, I practice this a lot, so I may be better than you. But I can do that in mere seconds. I can blow it and be back into God's righteousness in under a minute. I'm that good. It's just practice. We're not talking about penance or feeling bad for a while before I can feel good again or whatever. We're talking about sincerely going, you're right, I'm doing it again, God. I'm going to stop. I'm going to return to your righteousness. And in doing that, I can return to his peace and his quietness and his confidence. You understand how that works? Okay. Who's up for the journey? All right, good. Because either way, he's going there. <laughs> so I want you to know we are entering or into a season where God wants to align our hearts in a greater way with his. There's a river of fire, and uh, if we'll embrace it, there's glory at the end. There's glory at the end. There's glory at the end. Amen? This is simple, isn't it? It's just painful. <laughs> 